Hello, and welcome to episode 129 of The Winning Agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall, and joining me tonight, as always, is my lovable Byroid sidekick slash overlord, Wilfred E. Horrig. How are you, Oh, oh yes, that, that's good. We're, we're moving slowly towards a more equitable situation, I noticed. <laughs> we are. Um, who can really tell which, is, which it is? But it's certainly yeah. one of the two. <laughs> it's, uh, maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Possibly. Um... How are you? What's been happening? We had uh, regionals a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, great. Since we last recorded, yeah, regionals has been and gone. It's definitely definitely was a time. Um, spent a fair amount of time preparing, as you did also. Yep. So tonight we're actually going to go in-depth a little bit on regionals. Uh, but before we do, we're going to talk... Well, sorry, when we do, we're going to talk about our, our preparation process, the tournament, deck lists, everything. Uh, but before we do that, uh, how are you feeling generally about uh, Netrunner post-regionals? There's there's other regionals happening in other states. Are you going to be making the trek across the Australian countryside? I would like to, but unfortunately my job does not allow me such, uh, you know, benefits. Okay. Um, realistically, in order to get there, would it's a whole, you know, if you want to get there, you have to leave on Friday night to fly and then get there sat like you know play saturday and then possibly sunday as well so it's a if you want to go without taking off any time it's a definitely a bit more exhausting than i can deal with <laughs> mm. and speaking of exhausting weekends you had one of those not playing netrunner though you went to the <gasps> magic gp last weekend i want to be clear <laughs> that when you say i went to the Magic GP, you also went to the Magic <laughs> GP. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I feel like that wasn't quite, your statement wasn't, you know, it might have been true, but it didn't quite encompass everything that happened. No. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about your experience at the GP briefly. How did you find it? Okay, Was it as so, good as a Netrunner tournament? Yeah, so we like Magic. I definitely, uh, Magic is the first game I really got into, and... Um, it definitely still has advantages and disadvantages over Netrunner. And, I mean, there's not, like, everyone always asks which one do you like more or whatever, but it's not, like, they don't have to compete or whatever, right? There's definitely enough time and energy, like, in your... It's definitely possible to spend, you know, time playing one when you want to and the other when you want to. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the GP in that sense was fun. It was, it's nice to, you know, it is exhausting as I said, but it is nice also to go have a nice weekend away. Um, we didn't do very well in the tournament. Um, it was a team tournament actually, uh, sort of like Monarch of Servers, um, which, uh, listeners may be familiar with from Worlds, uh, 2016 and 15, I believe. Um, so into this one, this te- tournament, the Grand Prix had teams of three. So you play with two other people on your team. You get to choose your team, and you record your match results as a team. So, if for example, if you I win, um, so we should we should say normal Magic matches are best of three. Yep. So instead of playing just individual best of three, you play your individual best of three which then feeds into a team best of three. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot... Um, it's a bit more complex, and it's a, you play a lot more... Like, more games of Magic count towards your total, which is, I think, in general, a good thing, just because, you know, we all want to play more, and we all want to have the opportunity to 
um, play more without necessarily um, having more rounds. Like it's yeah, good. and it reduces variance. Yes, because, exactly. Yeah, across your team, you're less likely to lose a match purely because of one outlier, mana screw or mana flood. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so not, uh, despite the fact that we can blame variants less than normal at a magic tournament. Neither of us managed to do very well. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that yeah. says about us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll just um, not dwell on that too much. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was good fun. Aside from the fact that nine rounds is an exhausting day of any card game. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that, that was last weekend. Uh, but the weekend before that, which was much more exciting, and that's definitely what we're going to be talking about, was Netrunner Regionals. Um, yeah, so which... last, re- last weekend at the time of this recording. Um, yep. So, yeah, like, yeah. Netrunner Regionals was on, was on the um, Drum 17th? Roll. Yep. 17th of June. And uh-huh. so the most recent set was Earth Scion. Yes. Yes. Blood and Water had not become legal yet. No. Okay. So, uh, the metagame, I, I don't, I mean, it ch- it's changed a little bit from Blood and Water, but I think that whilst Blood and Water, which we will be discussing next week, has some very impactful cards, I don't think at the time of this recording, the people have found ways to uh, include them in popular strategies because a lot of them are sort of build arounds or take the factions in different directions, which you'll be able to hear more about next week. But certainly the metagame with Earth Scion. I think is very similar to the metagame now, which at the time of the recording, because the dominant strategies were sort of Sync Boom and Estelle Moon on the corp side. Uh, and on the runner side, you had a variety of criminals, a couple of Shaper combo decks, and then a whole lot of wizard to deal with moons. Uh, Wilfie, do you want to maybe uh, start off talking about the beginning of our testing process, how we went about that, and, and what sort of decks we were looking out for? Yes, yeah, so... Um, I think we really started testing one to two weeks before the tournament itself, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, it gives you a reasonable amount of time to not just latch onto one deck, like, and realize, you know, the day or two before the tournament that you really don't have the time to do, to try and play something else. So, you know, like, if you're going to do this, I recommend starting the process early. That's although that is something that always, you know, time goes very fast. I suppose is my main point. Like it's very easy um, to, you know, be like, I won't play. A li- I'll play a little bit today, and then I'll make a decision later. And then suddenly it's the night before the tournament, and you're stressing out because you, you know, what if this happens? What if this happens? Etc. Would you say that uh, some people have a looser relationship with time than other people? Sure, yeah, definitely, you know, among the range of people, you find all types, and so this advice may not necessarily work for you, but that's <laughs> something that I've thought, like, every every single tournament, I'm like, I wish I started earlier, so, you know, we're just uh, trying to... Have you to... ever been late for a tournament? <laughs> oh... Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, no. Anyway, aside from me teasing Wilfie, um, the so the preparation process. How did you begin in terms of selecting what decks to take into your gauntlet? We've spoken a bit about the gauntlet quite a long time ago now in terms of choosing a range of decks to test out against each other. How did you choose the ones that you really wanted to try out? Yes, although I did recently post about this on 
the Stimhack forums because someone was asking. So it is episode 31, if you were wondering. Uh, If anyone was wondering about the gauntlet process, that's one of the episodes on which we talked about. And I think the episode that we, like, sort of went through it from start to finish. So we won't go too deep into it this episode, but just, you know, if you're looking for more information on what the gauntlet testing process involves, which is what we use in general leading up to a tournament, you can check out episode 31. Great. And and so how did you choose the, your decks for this gauntlet? Yeah, so I think starting off, Moons was all the rage. Like, that that definitely set the tone for the whole process, I think, in, mm. in my mind. And that was what you sort of brought as your corp deck to beat into the process, I felt. Yes, because, you know, I'd been winning a lot, and I kind of felt like... And sort of, I still feel like, although a little less now, um, mm. that it's really a powerful linear deck, and it's not that easy to play a runner deck that's good against it while also be good, while also being good at beating other good corp decks. Just because at, I think, especially at the moment, the good corp decks really push runners in different directions, which you know we've seen before in the past. Just because it's a very good way to make your corp deck strong is to do something that interacts with runners in a different way to they're used to to, to and how runners are used to yeah and i think it's worth mentioning on that that a lot of people felt like coming out of euros and into regional season corps were a lot stronger than runners and i think what yes moons in and of itself is generally a very genuinely a very strong deck uh, but also i think as you've identified there having corp strong corp strategies pulling runners in different ways does make it really difficult to build a runner deck, which makes Corp overall feel better than runner. Yeah, like in a meta game. I think that if Moon was the like by far dominant deck, then it would actually be much better for runners than it is now. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah, and so I felt certainly playing my first few games against Wilfie when we were testing when Wilfie was playing Moons that no other runner other than wizard really had a reasonable matchup against moons even like it was the gulf between wizard and the next best runner against moons i felt was so wide that i really had to play wizard yeah and that was sort of like i kind of decided a bit like i started testing moons just because it was all the rage and i'm like this deck is very strong very powerful uh, I guess those two, like, it's it's very hard to disrupt. It's very, like, its game plan is strong in itself, and it's very linear. It's, like, not... It is mechanically complex, but sort of you do the same thing every game, so it's not like if you run up against a runner that you're not super, like, experienced against that doesn't really change your decision-making that much, which is, like, a powerful... Like, that is a benefit, I think. Yeah, certainly having a powerful linear strategy means you don't need necessarily to adapt too much. Um, the I think the next stage of the process for us when we were testing sort of moons against wizard was realizing that the wizard decks at the time weren't necessarily using uh, breakers that made it easy to get repeated accesses at the beginning of the game past the ice that the moon decks were playing. Um, so it was hard to get through Fairchilds. If they drew sort of two Fairchilds, if if they're lucky enough to draw three reasonably early in the game, you got behind fairly quickly, I felt, as the Wizard player. Yeah, I mean, um, I think um, 
Fairchild Architect and Eli is a wild ice suite to be able to play. Like, that was probably the main thing that drew me to Moons over, like, you know, SL Moon is a powerful card, but, like, getting to play ice of such high quality is... And to have them be so impactful just because you don't need to protect your remotes that much that, you know, you can put one ice on HQ, one ice on R&D, maybe one ice on a remote, and that's it, and all your ice is so good. Yeah. That that really drew me to play Moons as a corp more than yeah. I think how strong Estelle Moon was. And I think similarly to the CTM deck, and I think we discussed this last week or two weeks ago uh, when we were talking about Moons coming off the back of Euros, uh, one of the really strong things about that deck compl- compared to CTM is that it also forces the runner to interact early or get really far behind. Um, and so if both Architect and Fairchild are common in the Moons deck my thinking was that you had to really be able to make runs past Dangerous Ice early and break them consistently if you were going to have a good matchup, uh, which is why we made... Well, I made the, I guess, quite strange decision to go back to playing Faust, even though it was three influence. Yeah, so, well, maybe we should leave that for a bit later because that's a whole thing in itself, right? Sure, yeah. Why we so, decided to play that runner deck. I think the next thing that would be useful to talk about um, is maybe why you decided not, or why you decided to play the corp deck that you did. Uh, I mm. won't spoil it in case we haven't already. I'm not sure. Yeah. So the next uh, corp deck that we brought into it was this very fun and enjoyable Jemison Astronautics deck that I was testing. Oh God. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which we so did we... Um, post in the Winning Agenda Patreon group for all our you know special subscribers. Mm. And. Um, Look, while it was fun, it certainly wasn't... It had a bit of trouble with both the Shaper and the Criminal decks. And so it had a decent matchup against the Anarch decks. And if everyone was going to be playing Wizard, then you know maybe you had a chance to win. It had a pretty 50-50 matchup, depending on how the Wizard deck was teched out. But the fact that you lost so hard to Crims, just like most Wayland decks, meant that it wasn't really a tenable choice for the tournament. So I dropped that one as a sort of option for regionals probably at the start of the second week of testing after giving it a red hot go uh, and instead opted for the other deck which I'd been sort of trying out as well which was a similar build to the sync build we played at Worlds with some of the updates that I'd been making to it along the way as new cards had been released Uh uh-huh so it was very focused on 24-7 boom I mean not to the detriment of everything else but that was definitely the main game plan yeah, and I certainly scored out a couple of times um, at regionals because I've, I've always felt that that's a really important uh, thing to try and build into your deck. And so I will go a little bit more into the specific card choices in the deck that enable that to happen later. Uh, but in terms of the matchup, I certainly felt as though the wizard decks that were tacked out to beat Moons struggled intrinsically with beating wizard unless they also made a couple of with beating sync. sorry with beating sync yeah um, unless <laughs> the wizard co- mirror <laughs> yeah, the not... wizard mirror we've certainly tested um, <laughs> hasn't gone too well uh, but no yeah they struggled with beating sync unless they included a couple of key anti-sync cards which we weren't sure that everyone was going to and even once we started including things like aaron maron which I'll, i will mention that we had it in our wizard deck in the end uh you've only got one copy if you see it early it makes beating the sync deck a lot easier um, but if you don't see it early, you're sort of back to square one in terms of the matchup. Yeah, and you don't have any... It's it. 
you don't have any very good ways to make sure that you find it early. No. Uh, yeah, so I think that was sort of the rock, paper, scissors metagame that we actually ended up with, which is actually pretty much literally rock, paper, scissors in a lot of ways, um, although it's not really a triangle. Anyway, there were three decks. One was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one was uh, <laughs> Moons, one was Sync, and one was Wizard. Yeah, and so we decided, like, yeah, so basically... The choices were, what corp deck did you want to play? Did you want to play Moons, which was the rock, basically? Or did yep. you want to play Sync, which was the... Yeah, I feel One like this analogy yeah. sort of <laughs> falls apart when you have asymmetrical games. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, yeah, the, okay. one of them can't interact... Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Two, two, the corp decks can't interact with each other. Neither of them... Be, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you had let's say the default position of moons. Yeah. Um, and then if your opponent was playing wizard, then you had a slightly worse matchup. But if your opponent was playing literally any other runner deck, you had a pretty great time mm-hmm. or you could play sync and you had a better matchup against the wizard decks, but possibly a slightly worse matchup against the rest of the field. Definitely. I think slightly to significantly worse. Yeah. yeah. Especially against the new Angeles city hall shapers. Like, that especially like at worlds that was the thing that we were petrified about and it wasn't like that deck was unplayable at regionals no and the reason is actually quite a similar reason that i still went with sync to the decision we made at worlds which was we thought well ctm's in the metagame it's so fast that you can't really play a new angeles city hall shaper and win that many games um and moons filled a similar place in this metagame yes exactly like the more things change the more things stay the same right yep uh yeah so having that other aggressive fast corp deck that forces runners to respond certainly helps a deck like sync find its place in the metagame mm-hmm. against the more controlling runners so should we talk a bit about the decks that we both played then yes definitely how about you go first sure so i played a wizard list with uh, faust um, because I wanted not only to be able to interact with the Isaac Architect and Eli early on in the game, uh, I also wanted to be able to access my answers for different decks like Plascrete and Aaron using the Wildcakes engine. Um, and I also wanted to be able to interact with decks like CI that were playing Mother Goddess, Vanilla, you know, small and the run ice really early in the game and, and put a bit of pressure on them. Uh, late in the process when I really was still feeling like the Moons matchup was too much of a coin flip, I wanted to tilt it a bit more in my favor, and I thought this deck is so powerful that a lot of people are going to play it. I decided to change from the Grimoire, which I had been playing, to more, uh, which a lot of people at Euros had played, and once I started testing out, I realized it was a great choice. Uh, and Hacktivist Meeting, which really, I think, was the most important card in that deck for beating moons if you had mm-hmm. an activist early it just completely changed the game um do you want to talk about your runner your sure. wizard and how it was similar and different yeah so i played a wizard deck as well that was actually um a m- sort of more i guess conventional in that it had regular breakers let me just get up the deck list quickly <laughs> and then i'll talk about it sure thing so yeah, mine had a the suite of uh, conspiracy breakers as well, uh, one of each, but it had two fast, which went which meant no Temujin. So you were a little bit poorer on money, 
with just liberated accounts, daily casts and dirty laundry and sure gamble. But you were a little richer in cards probably because of the wild side chronotype engine. Yeah, so the um, wizard deck I played was a more conventional one. Um, I sort of felt that the main points at which the corp squeezed you in this format were in the early turns, like sort of like our Netrunner has been for the past, you know, forever. But it, it was like you really couldn't... Um, if you were going to play a deck that wanted to not interact with the corp early too much, then you really had to have a very strong late game. And so I, while I did think that the Wild Cakes, the Dumblefork deck, had, I guess is the regular name, uh, had a strong late game, I thought it was a bit difficult to set up a stage where you could get to that late game, especially against Moons, where Estel Moon can really take over the game from turn two, just like Sensi Actors Union. Like, mm-hmm. um, And so I played a more conventional deck with only uh, Conspiracy Breakers uh, and sort of geared for speed. So I had, I've had worse Inject and Street Peddler in order to find my Basically, so you could get set up early, and with Temujin, you know, all all those cards work with Temujin to mean that you can make runs early. Um, compared to the Temujin list that we played at Worlds, it was a much lighter on like mid to late game multi access. It only had one medium, one nerve agent. Yeah. Um, and you sort of had to. Uh, but I guess more sort of made up for that a little bit, although more and Grimoire sort of do different things in terms of enabling multi-access, so that's a bit of a separate discussion. But yeah, I think that in general, the deck was a lot more geared to trying to get your breakers as soon as possible, especially because the Conspiracy Breakers, unlike Faust, you need to match the Conspiracy Breaker to your opponent's ice. Um, but in the mid-game, you had a lot more ability to run with Temujin than the Dumblefork deck did. Yeah, so one of there were two ways, I think, two important things that I felt allowed the Dumblefork deck or, or the deck that I played to compete a little better um, in the early game and in the mid-game, and one was playing Two Spooned. I, did you play Two Spooned as well? I didn't play any. The list I have didn't have any cutlery at all. Yeah, so that was something that we decided to do at Worlds, uh, was to play Two Spooned mostly for Fairchild, and I certainly enjoyed having those in the deck again this time around. Um, the other thing was the... Oh, Hacktivist Meeting, yeah, which I already mentioned. Um, having that early and having the, the cards to be able to find that was really important, and we played that over the slums, which I think was a really important distinction between... The, the list that I played and a lot of the lists that had gone before, mm-hmm. I felt that Slums was too slow. It didn't really impact on the game. You, The first moon that you dealt with was sort of the most important one, I felt, in terms of tempo. And removing it from the game, yes, it meant they couldn't friends it back, but the tempo you lost from installing your Slums didn't really give you... It didn't wasn't really offset by the benefit of removing it from the game as opposed to trashing it when they could just draw another moon anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only ended up playing one slums. Like, originally the list had three, but I ended up cutting down to one just because, yeah, as you said, I don't think that having to install slums before you run, like on a critical turn where your opponent has installed multiple assets that you have to deal with especially, makes it yeah. really hard to... like. In some games, it's really, really strong. Just because the, if 
if your draw matches up to your opponent's draw in a certain way that they're sort of doing things more slowly and relying on friends to grind you out slums is like very good but that's not every game and so i sort of felt that having one let you pretend like find it if it was necessary because you can't even if you have three you can't really spend that long trying to find it because it loses loses its effectiveness really quickly Mm. but i felt like having one was enough that you know if you drew it at the right time then you could install it and it would in some situations be good but you would never draw extra copies when they weren't useful i also felt like every other card that i considered playing over it like more data suckers uh, you know more parasite more um economy cards anything else was just better Mm -hmm. um so yeah i was pretty happy with not playing them actually I'd, i'd play them for a very long time and then when i cut them i was like ah my cards just feel so much better all of a sudden yeah uh, actually the like i was thinking coming down to zero slums at the end but i was actually petrified of hostile infrastructure decks because this the wizard list i played was very weak against them i think yeah yes always something to be petrified of um so i think that probably (laughs) covers us off on wizard except for i do have a snare Mm -hmm. magnet on my face (laughs) you do (laughs) wilfie's hit more snares than anyone else in the history of netrunner um Aaron Maron was one concession that we made to sync, and I was pretty happy with that. What, what did you think of that? Me too. I mean, I didn't play against sync in the tournament, but that's whatever. Like, I definitely felt that in terms of the influence that you could use Aaron Maron helped your sync matchup more than any other card. Like, that's, mm. I think, basically a given. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it's not useless in every other matchup just because being able to see cards um, is so... Like, being able to draw cards so efficiently is is strong, but, like, the strength of allowing you to basically get into any server that you want against Sync, like, even through Data Raven, which is still a huge pain for, like, any, like, even decks with Parasite, basically any deck at the moment, I think, apart from the, like, combo-y ones, Data Raven is is so good against them. So being able to actually run through Data Ravens when it's essential to... I think is mm-hmm. just an absurdly powerful ability to have. And it's sort of like, it means that you're not forced into just waiting. Like, it's an, it means you're not forced into the thing that Sync is very good at, which is to just sit there until you both have, you know, you're petrified of running until you have Plascrete so you don't run, or tag protection or, you know, something like that, right? So, mm-hmm. but then they just sit there, gain resources, and eventually it doesn't matter what you have, they can just set up 24 7 and kill you regardless, right? Like, the way, real, the way to beat that deck is you have to trash their booms. Yep. I think. I don't think it's feasible to just wait. Yeah, trash their booms or score out with a Plascrete. And I, you played a Plascrete as well? I did play a Plascrete, yeah. Yeah, so we both played the one Plascrete, which I think having both Aaron and Plascrete in the deck gives you enough versatile answers to sync that you improve the matchup significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I definitely th- thought that sync was the clear, uh, not front runner, but the, you know, very close to Moons in terms of playability. Like, yep. it was definitely very, cl- yeah, it wasn't, I don't. I think that moons might have been much more powerful, but just because of the target on its head, I thought that they were very close to bring to the tournament. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I guess I'll quickly run through the sync deck that I played. Um, as opposed to the deck we played at Worlds, there's a little less tag punishment, um, 
and a little less space for tagging because I had to play two MCA informant to deal with Aaron because you just straight up lose to Aaron otherwise. Uh, whereas if you have MCA informant, at least you have an out in that if they have an Aaron on turn one, then you can score your breaking news on another agenda and you can still MCA informant. And if you can get rid of the Aaron that way, then they have to play another Aaron and then actually steal some agendas in order for it to be active again mm-hmm. before you assemble your combo. So having the two MCA informant meant cutting some other tag punishment. Uh, I'd originally gone down to one hard hitting news, two exchange and two closed accounts, but I realized that the pressure that was put onto the wizard decks by just this deck in general and the fact that they had to tech a little bit more for moons and so could tech less for tags uh, by not having networking running around everywhere and things like that meant that hard hitting news was actually a lot better now even than it was at worlds Mm -hmm. so i went back up to two hard hitting news which was really good for me um in the tournament that was sort of i think the last change i made and i was really glad i did uh ipo coming in was also massive so we played pad campaign i think at worlds if mm, i remember rightly i don't think so i think we just Maybe played not. hedge fund sweeps week and shipment from sansan ah shipment that's right um ipo i think is just better um mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the shipment and it certainly may makes your draws a lot smoother i think just the, the likelihood of having two economy operations early means that you can res data raven something else and still have money to score mm-hmm. um, in the first few turns which is great uh the ice has changed a little bit and IP block, I put two IP blocks in place of what we were playing was three resistors. So it's now one resistor, two IP block. And a data raven IP block server is just so strong for six credits. That's a really tough server to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and also one data ward came in. Uh, we made that change sort of straight after Worlds when data ward came out. Uh, sorry, yeah, came out, was released. Um, and data wards, having the one of those has been really good for me in a lot of games. You can put it on the most important server, whether it's the remote R&D or HQ, and it just means that those, uh, you know, Eater decks or anything else have a lot more trouble um, getting into that one server. Speaking of Eater decks, the other change I made was that I've always had one ice from out of faction in the deck. Uh, has previously been architect, and I found that that wasn't as impactful, just having the one of and instead tried out a Hortum, and it was massive against Eater decks. Um, there was an Eater deck that I played in the Swiss and in the top cut at the tournament, and Hortum won me both those games. Just manually advancing that on HQ m- meant that I was in the game when I otherwise wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. Because especially the Siphon Wizard deck is so reliant on landing the first Siphon, like less so against Sync, but definitely s- s- that is still very important. And mean especially meaning that it's much harder for them to get into HQ to make regular accesses, like they need to find Black Orchestra and um, and Spooned, like realistically. Yeah. Uh, or at least one, like at least Black Orchestra, but not really that much, means that the, the regular game plan of just holding all your agendas in HQ, like until you're ready to score them, because it's hard for them to get into both HQ and a remote. Um, makes it really uh, impactful to have a card like Hortum. Yep. Yeah, so Hortum was really good, and yeah, I think the rest of the deck was pretty much standard. How? What was your Moons deck? Mm-hmm. So I this Moons deck was basically what Dave Hoyland played um, at, I think, Euros. Um, he yep. was so kind enough to ship it to us. Um, the only change I made was replacing a successful field test with 
accelerated beta test. I think I'm pretty sure. Apart from that, it was exactly the list that he played. Um, and how the did reason, you feel about that? Mm-hmm, the only reason I did that was I found that it wasn't like now that you don't run away with as many games by a stelling for like six or whatever, just because everyone knows that you need to deal with the stell as fast as possible, and that really blunts the power of the deck. I mean, compared to never running a stell, right? Yeah, which um, was a realistic thing that people tried for a while. Yeah, um, like it, it's fine. The metagame has just evolved, and you know, now people learn to play against corpse threats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and yeah, people put cards like people work out what strategies are good against corp decks and put cards in the deck to facilitate that strategy because that's the way you win, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like they weren't running Estelle because, like, you know, they didn't know how good Estelle was or whatever. Just because, just that, you know, if your strategy is to sort of ignore Estelle and you put cards in your deck to just deep dig R&D or whatever, that's fine too. But it's not, you know, for most runner decks that doesn't work as well as trying to fight the corp threats. Yeah, and certainly successful field test is a lot better if there are more runners in the metagame doing those other things like deep digging R&D and they let you get something like a successful field test off with 10 cards in hand or 15 cards in hand. Exactly, but I found yeah. it didn't really happen as much and so having the, just an extra 3 for 2 agenda that you can biotic or score naked or you know just any of those flexible things makes the ABT a lot better. Yep. And I did get to fire it once, and it hit something, and I was very happy about that because my deck had 10 eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's strange of you to fire an ABT. Yes. I with 10 eyes in your deck. I really hate it, but, you know, I thought uh, I need to get an ice rest, so <laughs> this is the best way to do it. Great. It worked out. Um, and how did you feel about the deck uh, on the day? It yep. went pretty well for you? It was really good. Like, the only game it lost was to you um, in the Spoilers, top four. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure everyone knows. Oh, fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the only game I lost was very a very close game against you where I, I think made a couple sequencing errors, but that's okay. Um, and then, yeah, apart from that, like, you know, you have some close games just because it, the deck gives up accesses pretty readily. Um, yeah. Just hoping that you're fast, like the old uh, fast advance HP fast advance decks. You really just have to hope that you get to seven before them. So, you know, it's not like you're not sweating a lot of games, but still, just the speed at which the deck can score seven points is really um, absurd. I think. Yeah, and a lot of games will be four seven or six seven, but like you say, you hope that your low agenda density and your capacity to control where the agendas are to some degree will get you over the line mm-hmm. more often than not cool um so i guess the the next thing to talk about is probably the tournament itself and both of us went f- uh, it was a pretty small tournament there was uh, only four rounds of swiss uh we were both 4-0 after the first two rounds and then id'd into the top four to shock horror uh um, wait no after the first three rounds Oh, you, I did your second yeah, last I, round. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, okay, I played. Oh, you played your second last round. And yeah. did you win both? I did win both. Yeah. In my second last round, yep. So, yeah. that's fine. That makes sense. We both made top four, I suppose, is the long yeah. short of the story. And in the top four, um, I think that there was an interesting little mini metagame in itself. So, we had Asha, who was playing uh, Moons and uh, Siphon Wiz. 
with eaters and keyholes. Uh, we had Rob who was playing Ag Infusion and Adam. Uh, and you playing the decks we talked about and me playing the decks that we talked about. So I played, uh, who did I play in the first round? You? Me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just cast uh, your mind back. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, I played uh, Runner. So yeah, I, I played against your Moon's deck and... Mm-hmm. And I chose to cop. Yeah. And how did... You said you felt you made a couple of sequencing errors, but I felt that the Hacktivist meeting was the most important card in that game. Did you feel the yes, same way? Yes, I yeah. agree. Um, yeah, the game wasn't recorded. Uh, we won't speak of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought that... Like, there were a couple turns where I could have done something else to fight against Hacktivist meeting. Like, it's sort of like, I'm not sure whether I should be just resing everything popping jackson and trying to start afresh with my new hand basically like yeah. starting a turn whether i should just not res anything until i can find elp or labor abt um try and sneak out the naked or a three for two not necessarily just abt try and sneak out a three for two because you're less likely to check remotes with hacktivist in play because that's free time that you can use to build your board yep um or to, like, sort of build a remote and not, like, try and only res things when necessary to score an agenda. But, like, that's very hard just because of the composition of your deck. You have so many assets, you need your assets to do things, so... Yep. It was sort and of if they're like, not making you money, it makes it hard to res your ice and score your agendas. Yes, exactly. So those were sort of the four options, and I kind of went with resing my like I resed a daily business show and a Jackson into a the hacktivist I think just so I could try and find and like discarding agendas from my hand and shuffling them with Jackson just so I could try and find either ELP or like you know so that's more flexible because you lose some resources but it means that you fire your daily business show and you get to make the choice as to what to do in your next turn a bit better yep um so that's what I chose, and it sort of ended up going okay, but I didn't find, like, between ELP and the 3 for 2 agenda, I didn't find either of them before it was, like, much later in the game. Yeah. So, like, that was not, that didn't turn out great, but, and that's probably, like, that's the, pro- that was the primary, I think, decision of the game. Um, I didn't, you know, later on I did, I, could, I think I could have installed a different a- asset, like where thinking about whether you'll check it or not um and but you know that's sort of regular that like that's a more reasonable thing like you always have to make those kind of decisions but the hacktivist thing was i think the main turning point yeah and yeah from my perspective as runner the hacktivist meeting was really important for that reason that you spoke about which is giving you time to set up your board the runner the time set up their board and that's the one thing that the moon's deck really denies you as a runner because it forces you to just make so many runs in the first few turns that you get you can get six seven eight turns into the game and have one card on the board as Mm -hmm. a runner which is so awful Mm -hmm. um so yeah having that time to set up key cards and then you know once more comes online it gives you so much more value from just checking those naked remotes and stopping them sneaking out the agenda because then if it's not an agenda, you're at least getting some value out of the run. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, once all that's online, I think the the value proposition for every action that you take is just so much better um, as the runner that you can reliably go over the top of the corp deck. Yeah, I think so too. 
Cool. Um, so that was that game, and then you played against Rob's Ag Rob Infusion. Infusion. Yeah, it was a yeah. very, very, very close game. I think that one also wasn't on camera, but you, I think, were watching for a little bit. Like, basically, we got to a point where my opponent had no, like, a caprice and no credits, and I, like, was thinking about whether I should just ditch everything I had to try and break the caprice and, like, stop him because he had already used his Nisei counter or whatever. Um, or basically to try and use that time where he couldn't profitably score, like he couldn't realistically score, in order to just set up my board and try and score seven from R&D. And I feel like like my accesses from R&D were a little unlucky, but I still feel like, you know, maybe it's a bit risk-averse to be like, I don't want to throw everything away just for this one, or like just so my opponent like has... Oh, because my opponent's going to recover much faster than me. That That's sort of saying, all right, I'm going to dismantle your remote and then hope to win the next couple of turns while you can't do anything or else, you know, it's going to be really hard for me to recover or be like, it's okay for you to score in the next couple of turns, even if it's going to be hard. Like, depending on your draw, you can potentially score, potentially not score, but I'm a lot more set up if I can survive the next couple of turns unscathed, like, without you scoring another Nisei counter. So... I ended up doing a lot of, like, weird things, like letting a crick fire twice <laughs> when my opponent had, like, lots of things in archives just in order to try and turn my opponent's board position from one server to another. <laughs> so, like, Ag Infusion's very strange. Yeah. It, it, I think your decisions early can really impact on how the game pans out late. Um and it's certainly, once Caprice is in play, it turns into that classic game where HQ doesn't really matter later on. And if they're defending R&D and the remote, as soon as they draw agendas, they can just put them in the remote because they're so safe with Caprice. Mm -hmm. um, even if they're reasonably low on credits, when you've got ice like DNA Tracker and Mind Game and things that are pretty expensive to break, the runner can't go through repeatedly. Um, exactly. But, like, it was very close. Like, I think, one, if I had had one more access go my way i i would have won like that's fine of course but you know like the i like playing the kind of games where you or like as the runner you always draw your deck just because you know the game always goes so long and you see every card in your deck just because it's really interesting to be like three turns into the game i need to set up for this situation nine turns later or whatever right yeah 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 but yeah so it was a very interesting game like i eventually lost but that's okay and yeah like though i really like playing those kind of games and there were lots of decisions and you know sometimes netrunner is about um making decisions and then not really knowing whether they were good or not until much later in the game so that's okay it happens yeah and i think i'd played maybe one game against ag infusion before the tournament so i think i was lucky to be able to avoid that because certainly by observing a few of Rob's games, I learned a lot more about how the deck actually plays because mm -hmm. it's quite counterintuitive. Um, and certainly if I'd come up against it early, I think I would have been all at sea. Mm -hmm. uh, so then I simultaneously was playing Asher's uh, Siphon Wiz deck uh, with my sync and Hortum was massive. And I actually ended up winning that game by scoring out, not by booming because Asher had a Plascrete, which he found reasonably early. 
I probably shouldn't have spoiled that because that game was recorded, but hopefully the game will be released. The recording of that will be released before this. But anyway, it was a quite a fun game and it was very certainly very tense uh, because once your boom plan is taken away from you, you're a little bit less powerful than you were before, perhaps mm-hmm. a lot less. Then Asher and Rob played and they had an absolute nail-biter of a game, which I won't spoil, but... I will partially spoil because I will say that I <laughs> played on, Asher in the final. <laughs> okay, uh, sure. Yeah, so I, I won't say anything about the game other than that Asher made it to the final. And we played again with my... Uh, what did I play? Oh, yeah, I played Runner. And it was, again, a really, really tense game, which I won't spoil. The ending was a little bit crazy. There were a lot of ups and downs, but I was certainly happy to just get there in the end. Sneak out with a win. Yeah. Yeah, so... That was regionals. It was a lot of fun. And I think the most satisfying part for me was the fact that I felt like the work we put in really paid off. Yeah. And that's Um, always, um, that's a good feeling. Like that's sort of why you play and why you put in the work, right? Exactly. And sort of what I was mentioning earlier about little things like Hortum and Hacktivist Meeting and uh, the little decisions we made, the second hard-hitting news, when, when you sort of draw those cards and they're impactful in games and you're like, I consciously made the decision to put that in there, that, that is a really cool feeling. It um, makes you feel very smart, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think I'm sure the same thing, you felt the same thing when you fast advanced out that last ABT. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, this is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so looking forward for us, I think the the upshot of that is that we'll certainly be doing gauntlet testing as we always have before big tournaments when it comes time for nationals, which for us is in August. Yeah, uh, that's quite soon. I didn't real like, thinking about it, I realized that it was probably soon, but that's, like, much sooner than I was sort of consciously expecting, right? Yeah, it's sort of a month and a half from now, which means maybe one, maybe two more packs. Um, probably not rotation, you would think. No, I would be very surprised, but... Mm. You know, who knows? It's the Wild West rotation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I think we'll certainly be finishing off our pack reviews of the Red Sand Cycle over the coming weeks. But once we get towards pack number six and rotation is literally on our doorstep, we'll do a little bit more of an in-depth look at what that might mean for the metagame. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just before we wrap up, I want to... Uh, Maybe we'll leave it for next week because the Anzac is currently ongoing. We'll talk about that next week, actually. Great. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this trip behind the curtain of the winning agendas testing process and our, our regionals uh, experience. We can year. say success. Is, sure, our, our regional success <laughs> this year, which we, we enjoyed a lot. Um, we'll be back next week with the first half of our blood and water pack review. Uh, and until then, I've been Jesse Marshall here with Wilfred E. Horrig, as always. We hope you've enjoyed the episode and we look forward to seeing you next week. If you want to get in touch with us, you can hit us up on Facebook. Our like page is The Winning Agenda. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda. You can send us an email to thewinningagenda at gmail.com. And if you want to throw a few dollars our way and get some access to all sorts of fun deck lists like the Jemison deck list, uh, you can head along to the www.patreon.com slash thewinningagenda. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.